All right, let's begin our uh, word today. And let me uh, bring it out a picture of a man. Does anyone recognize this man? Let me see. Anyone? Okay, who? Who is this? Okay, let me give you a hint. Another one. Now, anyone recognize this man? He is Albert Schweitzer. He was a French-German Christian, uh, a musical prodigy, an internationally celebrated pipe organist, and renowned New Testament scholar. And actually, his works on the historical quest of Jesus and Pauline mysticism are still must-read in graduate school. He was born in 1875 and died in the 1965. 90 years he lived. But if that's not enough, at the age of 30, Albert Schweitzer responded to missionary call and uh, went to a medical school and studied for eight years to become a missionary doctor. And the next 52 years, he founded and served a medical mission in Gabon, West Africa. In 1952, he received the Nobel Peace Prize for his Christian humanitarian philosophy called the reverence for life. Now, when he was 30 and he told his friends and the students that he was about to give up his celebrated pipe organist's career as well as a respected academic post, many people asked him why. And he pointed out the parables that we are about to read. That's the reason why. So let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 19 to 31, so-called the parable of a rich man and Lazarus. And this parable convicted this successful musician and theologian to be lifelong self-sacrificing missionary. So this is a dangerous parable to read. But let's read it responsibly. So brothers, we read, and the sisters, you follow, and then we will read responsibly. Brothers, here we go. There was a rich man who was dressed up in purple and fine linen and lived in the luxury every day. Longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even dogs came and licked his sores. In haze, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. He answered, Then I beg you, fathers, and Lazarus to my family. Abraham replied, They have a Moses and a prophet. 
Let them listen to them. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and prophet, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. For this parable, I couldn't find any TV show or movie that uh, matches, but I found the socks that matches. And since we have a tour of uh, hate today, I found the socks that is uh, kind of red and uh, you know, flame kind of things. I mean, well, this is an inside joke. But before I share the rich meaning of this parable with you, let me give you an uh, important caveat. Parable of a rich man and Lazarus has been another controversial parable of Jesus. Because this parable is the only parable that contains the name, um, the real name of a person. Some think this is not actually a parable. This is an actual story. Because no other parables of Jesus have a name of a real person. What do you think? Well, if this is a non-fiction and real report, then what's the problem? Then if it's a real story, that means there is open communication between people in heaven and in haze. And then one can shout from the one side of hell, one side to the other. Is that a is sort of heaven and hell? Is that a, like a, like a U.S. and Mexico without the wall? Uh, it's some, to some degree. You know, such a theory is a very simplistic, too simplistic. And uh, we will come back to the name, why the name Lazarus mentioned here. But like most scholars, I think this is a parable, uh, intended story with a meaning. And uh, uh, the way that Jesus st started this story shows the, uh, it's a common literary expression. So all Jesus' parables, if you look at it, he always starts in this way. There was, point, there was a man who had a two sons, in the case of a parable of a lost son, you know, the a prodigal story. The parable of a shrewd manager that we saw last week, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting resources. And then today's story, there was a rich man who was addressed. And then later in the chapter 18 also, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow and so forth. So every time you know, Jesus starts the parable, he said that that's the way that he starts. So many New Testament scholars said this is just another parable of Jesus. Besides going through all the nitty-gritty theological you know, problems that the theory creates. Now, richness of this parable, that's what I want to share with you, comes from three revelations in this story. And if we recognize these three revelations from this parable, you and I can live a richly faithful life in this world and the next. So I want to share with you three revelations from this parable. The first one, life does not end with a death but life continues even after death. Okay? Life doesn't end with a death, but life continues even after death. So look at the verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and then we see him again. Both rich man and beggar Lazarus died, but their lives continued in a new dimension. That was not the end of their existence, 
That was not a period of a sentence, but that is a simply a coma in sentence. They say, the Bible says that they died and, died and. It doesn't say died period, died and. I think this end is the most important conjunction that we must remember because the life continues even after death is the most foundational truth in living a faithful and meaningful life. You know, death of a person does not mean person stop existing, but it means that the person start existing in a different way. In a sense, death is like a moving or relocating. In my life, I moved and lived in four different countries, South Korea, Argentina, Venezuela, now in the United States. In the United States, I lived in three different states, California, New Jersey, and now in Middle Texas. Whenever I moved from one country to another, my friends of departed places felt sad about my living. While some of them never saw me again, and I stopped existing in daily reality, that doesn't mean I stop existing. I'm still well and existing. All the dead people in the history did not stop existing. They are still existing in different ways. Because if we don't see them, hear them, that doesn't mean they are gone forever. They are continually existing in a different manner or other dimension that you and I will soon understand. So this means Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nero, Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Genghis Khan, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, all the, and uh, Hugo Chavez, Kennedy, you name it. They are still existing. They never disappeared. Death cannot undo what God created. Amen? They only disappeared from our physical reality. So we have to recognize that is not the end of a life. And the Bible tells us what we really need to fear is not a death, but a judgment after death. Hebrew 9.27 says, Just as the people are destined to die once, afterward we are all facing judgment of God. And once again, Romans 14.2, On that day, each one of us when we stand before God, we will give account of our life. So, death is not the end. Bible is absolutely clear. What we need to fear is not death. It's our ultimate meeting with God. And death is not an end, but an entrance into eternity. Are we clear on this? Do you really believe this? This is a good news because... For me, this is why I believe that one day I'll see my father and, you know, the, and my pastor and, you know, all the loved ones that I sent. This is a good news that one day I'll see Mia and Matthew, all the children that we missed so prematurely. They continue to exist. So D.L. Moody, famous American uh, evangelist, one said that uh, someday you will read in papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At the moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, this is all, out of this old clay tenement into the house that is immortal. 
a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like his, unto his glorious body. That's what is waiting for us. By the way, D.L. Moody has two sons, William and Paul. Paul later became a president of a Middlebury College, and uh, he struggled with his faith. And one day, when D.L. Moody and uh, Paul Moody, they were traveling to uh, England in transatlantic you know, ocean liner, he actually confessed to his father that I'm not sure whether I believe in God. I have a doubt about God's existence. And uh, it would be, so Moody was shocked and then he began to pray for his son. You know what happened? On the day that Moody died, on his deathbed, just a minute before he passed away, everybody saw all of a sudden D.L. Moody's face lit up with a smile and joy that they had never seen. And there was a really, face was shining. And he was saying that he is here, he is here, I'm ready. And then he passed away. You know that, later Paul said, that was a turning point in his life toward God. Once again, this parable tells us death does not end. Death is not end of a life. It is simply and I mean entrance into eternity. Now, second revelation is about Lazarus. Lazarus illustrates and confirms the grace of God. Today's text does not say explicitly why Lazarus was saved. And I want to tell you very clearly that he was not saved simply because he was poor. Not every poor has a faith in God or a good faith in God. There are many poor who are greedier and miser than wealthy people. Have you seen some poor people very manipulative? I know, because I'm one of them. I was one of them. Lazarus' poverty surely affected him but it was not the reason that he was saved. Okay, I want to be clear on that. Now, the only thing that parable says about him was how pathetic and horrible his condition, his life was. Look at the verse 20. At the rich man's gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with the sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even dogs came and licked his sores. He was not only poor, that his profession was a beggar, but he was sick poor. Lazarus running, you know, he has a skin condition, bad skin condition. And then dogs are licking his sores. By the way, dogs here is now, we are not talking about a household pet, like a Lulu. You know, it's not a cute little dog, you know, cuddling you. We're talking about scavenging, you know, dogs, ugly dogs. They're looking for some kind of a nourishment. And the fact that he has a skin condition and that animals are licking it, it makes him ritually impure. Ritually impure is a big deal in the Jewish culture. That means it's a religious, unclean. Unclean. Jewish people, they equate the unclean, impure, equal as uh, unrighteousness. 
And what was his food that he longed to eat? The food that fell from the rich man's table was not food that fell accidentally nor mercifully, but it was actually a piece of bread that used to wipe the hands of the people on the table. I don't know, some movies you've seen the people using a bread to wipe their hands. It's a common custom in, in the ancient world. So such a dirty food was is a delicacy. Now when rich men died, in today's story, unlike the rich man, I mean Lazarus died, unlike the rich man, there was no mention of a burial. That means most likely he was not buried properly. And burial was a very extremely important in the ancient world. Not being buried was viewed as a sign of a God's curse. So if you, uh, Jeremiah 8, verse 1 and 2, Jeremiah talks about the future uh, tragedy or uh, God's punishment coming to Israel when the Babylonia conquered Jerusalem. And this is how he explained. At that time, declares the Lord, bones of the kings and officials of Judah, the bones of a priest and prophet, the bones of a people of Jerusalem will be removed from their grave, and they will be exposed to the sun and the moon, all the stars of the heavens, and which they have loved and served, they worship the idols of nature, and which they have followed and consulted and worshipped, and they will not be gathered up or buried, but will be like a dung lying on the ground. So God was saying that those you idol worshippers in Jerusalem, in the future, you will not have a proper burial. Your remains will be scattered like a dung in the street. So burial is a very important. It's a proper, you know, respect for a person in ancient world. So when Lazarus died, most likely this poor, sick, religiously unclean beggar without family most likely dumped in the valley of a hymnon, which is west of Jerusalem at the time. And there's a, the, the Hebrew name for the valley of a hymnon is a Gehenna. And anybody knows what Gehenna? Gehenna is the uh, biblical word for hell. Because Gehenna, going back to Old Testament, this is where Israelites used to offer child sacrifice as a burnt offering following the pagan worship. And the later Jewish people, they want to reform this pagan idolatry that they made it a pagan altar, it's a, a, a garbage dumpster. And back then, the way they take care of our garbage was burning them. I'm today too, right? Burning the garbage. So that was a Gehenna. You know, so ironically, this uh, Lazarus, poor sick beggar, whose body was burned, burned at the valley of Himnon or Gehenna, he was escorted by angels to the bosom of Abraham. Isn't this a radical refer, you know, reversal or what? You know, La Lazarus' poverty and sickness and lack of burial is certainly clearly contrasted with his reception in Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. You know, bosom is an image of honor and intimacy. You know, John 1.18 said, uh, in the beginning, no one has ever seen God, but one and only, only begotten Son, who <laughs> himself is God, 
<coughs> the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You know, the word actually closest relationship, that is a fair NIV paraphrase, but actually in Greek word is a bosom, helpers. Jesus in the bosom of the Father, only begotten, became a human and revealed God to us. So, this is what happened to Lazarus. When Lazarus died, angel escorted, and Abraham embraced him and put him next to him in the place of honor. And because now, I'm going to explain why the name Lazarus came. Because Abraham's appearance in this story, I believe that Jesus gave the name to this beggar, Lazarus. Because Lazarus is a shortened name of Eliezer. Anybody ring a bell about Eliezer and life of Abraham? If you look at the Genesis 15, when God came and Abraham said, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. Don't worry, Abraham, I'm all yours. And Abraham at the time was very sour about God because God didn't give him a son. So Abraham said, well, sovereign-in-law, what can you give me since I re remain childless? And then the one who will inherit my estate might be Eliezer, my servant. That Eliezer. On the servant Abraham almost adopted to be his son. Somebody who Abraham has a very close relationship. That was named Lazarus. I think Jesus was connecting these two stories. So, and also the name Eliezer simply means, El means God. Ezer in Hebrew means help. God helps. And here he is. God helps the poor. God helps the losers of the world. If you look at the Lazarus, what he has done in his life, in today's standard or ancient standard, whatever worldly standard, Lazarus was a total loser. He was a total loser, right? He was a hobo. He couldn't even take care of it, you know, himself. He's a total loser. But you know what? While everybody despised him and disrespected him, even animals, you know, they didn't, you know, I mean, they, they, they made a fun of him, but God didn't. God loved Lazarus. The fact that Lazarus made it into the bosom of Abraham, it shows that God does not care about his or our social economic performance. God loves anybody regardless of their human qualification. No matter what you have done, who you are, it doesn't matter. God's grace accepts us as we are. If our heart is open to him, he embraces us, he enriches us, he encourages us, he makes he make us known, himself known to us. Anyone who feels you are a loser, anyone feels that you amount not much in this life or your career or whatever relationship, think again. You are very precious to God. And grace of God seeks anyone with a desperate need, desperate one. You know, that's what I think Lazarus is a hero in this story. Simply because he got nothing to show to God or to the world. And God said, you don't have to show anything. As long as you have a heart for you want, you want me, I'm yours. This is the grace of God. Hallelujah. 
Actually, when you fail everything, it's hard to actually have a hope in God. No? Speculation, but who knows? Lazarus, all his failure, his only hope was God, and somehow God recognized that. But one way or another, God loves all of us, regardless of our human qualifications. That's why I think this is ultimately parable of the grace of God. Now, ooh, time gone. I may have uh, the main point left, the Revelation 3. We are only halfway, guys. Wake up. We need to finish. Now, the third revelation, the first one is a life continues even after death. Second revelation is that uh, Lazarus confirms the grace of God. And third one is a rich man was uh, condemned because of his unbelief. He was uh, condemned because of his unbelief. The chunk of the today's parable is all about the rich man, and especially it's a conversation with Abraham. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple, fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. First thing about him that Jesus talked about is a lavish lifestyle. Dressed in purple. Okay, you need to recognize the purple. Purple was a rare and expensive in ancient world because it was a hard to get that color. In order to get the purple, you need to get a marine snail. And there's a very long process, expensive process. It's a rare color. Today, purple, no big deal. Jamie, my wife, she's wearing purple. But back then, it was a color of royalties. Only royal people wear the color purple. And then fine linen means imported fabric from Egypt. So this just one description, Jesus saying, this rich man lived like a you know, royalty or king. Once again, Jesus knows the Bible condemns wealth or rich people per se. Wealth is also a gift of God and many times a result of hard works. What is condemned in this story? It's not a wealth, but a kind of a wealth that neglects the poor and deceived oneself. The rich man went to Hayes not because of his wealth, but because of wrong wealth that deceived him with a false faith. Let me repeat that. The rich man went to Hayes because of a wealth bewitched him, gave him a wrong theology and wrong faith about God. Let me go. So let's say impact on this. From his conversation with Abraham, <coughs> we can see that uh, he knew Lazarus, right? He knew the beggar well. He's, he twice asked, you know, Abraham, can you send the Lazarus to, you know, give me some relief from this, you know, agony? Or can you send the Lazarus to help, you know, inform my five brothers, right? So he knew Lazarus by name. That means this rich man been aware of uh, Lazarus. He probably saw him every day passing by him. And it never, never mattered to him to help him out. He probably saw dogs licking his sores. It never bothered him. He saw Lazarus eating the, you know, that the dirty 
uh, 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 bread, piece of a bread that he just threw out, just fell from, you know, threw out. And it didn't bother him. He just saw Lazarus as a landscape, just another landscape. Not a human being, just another, you know, piece of things in life. And I want to tell you, this is a clear violation of the Old Testament standard of righteousness. Because in the Old Testament, righteousness is not a theological, it's not a simple theological idea or doctrinal issue. It is moral issue. Theology, doctrine, and devotion, theology and ethics always go together. So for instance, Deuteronomy 15.10, God said through Moses that give freely to the poor person. Do not wish that you didn't have to give. That means give freely. Lord your God will bless your work and everything you touch. The rich man probably thought, I'm already blessed. That means God already blessed me and I must be doing good. And Deuteronomy 15, 7, and 8. Well, those Republicans need to listen to this. When you are living in the land the Lord your God is giving you, there might be some poor people living among you. You must not be selfish. You must not refuse to give help to them. You must be willing to share with them. You must lend them whatever they need. God said in the promised land, when you have a, the poor foreigners, you take care of them. That's what God has simply put. In Proverbs 19.17, giving poor help to the poor is like loaning money to the Lord. He will pay you back for your kindness. And Isaiah 58, 7 and 10. This is a long passage, worth reading. Is it not to... Let's share it together. Let's read together. One, two, three. You know, this passage, Isaiah said, when you share your bread with, your, with the hungry and bring the poor and homeless into your house, God called, what he call it? Your righteousness. That's the Old Testament standard of righteousness. It's not about uh, being a holy and impeccable in terms of uh, all the sacrificial law and then, you know, church attendance, temple attendance, and all those things. Talking about, simply put, taking care of the poor in the name of God, that is your righteousness. If you do that, I'm going with you. I'm going to take care of you. That's what God is saying here. And this rich man didn't do that. Once again, it's not the wealth, wealth the problematic. His wealth has nothing to do with the rich people. I mean, the poor people. Actually, you wonder what happened here? Why? And then, you know, and then his second, so first request, Abraham said, oh, we can help you. And the second request, it was, it's not for me, for my brothers. 
send Lazarus to my brother. And, you know, surely they will, you know, I don't want them to come. Well, another question is, why only your brother? Why is everybody, you know, only his brother? And William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, once, you know, said, after reading this passage, said this. So, you know, are you familiar with a, a Christian organization called Salvation Army? You know, it's, they're wearing, you know, oh, you know, they're all the Christmas, you know, offerings, right? They call their pastors actually military name because the church is organized by kind of military terms. And they call the seminarians a cadet, you know? Cadet. Isn't that cool? Cadet. I was cadet once, but if I... And then one time, William Booth called the cadets of a, a Salvation Army Seminary that if I, if, I, if I could, if God grant me one, power, one wish, is that I wish I send you to hell for three days, that will make you a better soul winner than all these three years of a seminary. That's what it said. And we saw the example of that. The rich man in agony, he wants somebody to go and preach the gospel or, you know, whatever, to his brothers. And then Abraham gave a very important answer. He said, if we don't have to send anybody because already Moses and the prophet, that means the entire Old Testament is there. There is an answer is already given. And he insists, someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And the conclusion, Moses said, I mean, Abraham said, if they not listen to Moses and the prophet, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Even somebody from resurrection goes to death, will not convince them. What is Abraham is saying here? Abraham here is saying is that human failure to believe is not due to the lack of uh, evidences. Even with the evidences, people do not believe because that's what they choose. And the Jesus. In this, Jesus, when he's talking about somebody coming from the dead, somebody risen from the dead will not convince them, I think Jesus is talking about himself here. Because soon Jesus would be crucified, soon he would rise from the dead, but the empty tomb in Jerusalem did not result in the massive mass conversion. Right? So, Jesus simply said, I mean, Abraham said, well, if you don't obey the already given the uh, word, the, the most law and the prophet, they will not repent. That enough already information is given. Now, I want to say this. That what is the unbelief in this story? You know, this rich man was a Jew. That means he probably knew a little bit about Old Testament. He probably went to synagogue. He probably went to temple. He probably... Buried by you know, synagogue rulers or all the you know, uh, priests. So he is a Jew. He, it's not like an atheist who, who didn't know about the life after death. He probably believed and knew all about life after death. So what kind of unbelief is Jesus talking about in this passage? That comes from Luke chapter 16, verse 14. If you look at the Luke chapter 16, 14, today's parable came in the sort of in the group of a parable, 
And uh, 16, 14, the Pharisee who loved the money heard all this was sneering at Jesus. You know, after Jesus gave the parable of the shrewd manager that we studied last week, and Jesus made a conclusion that you cannot serve the God and money, on that conclusion, looks at the Pharisees, they, when they heard Jesus' conclusion, they kind of uh, sneered at Jesus. Why? They loved money. They loved the money. What does it mean? Pharisees, were the exemplary Jewish people back then. And so here is, uh, you know, Pharisees' wrong theology exposed at core through this rich man's life. And the, what was the Pharisees' wrong understanding of the God's truth? This is it. Are you familiar, do you remember Deuteronomy's theology? You know, after the uh, Babylonian exile, Jewish people came to, un came, to this, came to understand why God punished them through the foreign invasion and exile. And out of their self-examination, Jewish people came up with a so-called term called the Deuteronomy theology because God said very clearly to Moses, in promised land, when you don't obey me, then just like I punished the Canaanite, I'm going to punish you through the foreign invasion. If you obey my law, you'll be blessed. You disobey my law, I'm going to kick you out of the promised land. And when you repent, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back. That's so-called the Deuteronomy theology. Are we clear? Old Testament is a very, very serious about Deuteronomy theology. It's good to know. God bless those who obey. God, I mean, obey to the law. And God punishes those who don't obey his law. That is simple as a determinist to the law. Now, this good theology went the wrong route through Pharisees. Because Pharisees twisted determinist theology with the two wrong angles. One called the legalism and the other one called so-called prosperity gospel. Pharisees, they understood the, keeping the law just as like a legalistic, minute, detail, very rigid stipulation. It's not about the heart of the law. It's the letters of the law they went after. So for instance, they, they made a 60 subdivisions about the law of keeping the Sabbath holy. So Sabbath, you, cannot, you can walk only this much mile, you cannot carry this much you know, weight. All this kind of stipulation. They went to the law. You know, I mean, they took the law and they made it legalistic. And then what else? They love money. Bible said they love money. So according to Deuteronomy, when you are wealthy and you are healthy and you are doing well, wealth and health were a sign of God's blessing. Now, they turned that on the head. The whoever wealthy and healthy, you must have a good faith. Is that, you know? Of course, when you are faithful to God, God will bless you. But not everybody, you know, wealthy or healthy is not actually blessed by God. Right? You know the difference. Pharisees, their ultimate goal is that uh, in the name of God, we want to be wealthy and healthy. 
and respected by everybody as a best believer. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, where is that? You, you're justifying yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is the detestable in God's sight. That's what Jesus said. So this, what's the sin of uh, this, you know, what is the unbelief of this rich man? This rich man in Pharisee's theology, he thought he is in right relationship with God and God blessed him in this life and that blessing will continue in the future. And lo and behold, when he died and God said, you have not obeyed my word. And this is a shock. And then he realized, man, I didn't know. Well, you know, wrong theology or wrong faith is very costly. This is why theology matters. Now, what is the right gospel? What is the right faith? Any faith, any gospel, which is not good for the poor, it's not a gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. That is the conclusion of today's sermon. Any gospel, any faith that is not good for the poor and needy is not a gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? When Jesus started his ministry, the first message Jesus gave, Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, Jesus said this, Spirit of the Lord is on me because of he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners, back then prisoners, it's not uh, those uh, you know, criminals. We're talking about poor people put in the prisoners. And the recovery of a sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said his gospel is for the poor. The poor, prisoner, blind, oppressed, they're all common things. They are people of a desperate need. And Jesus said, my gospel is good for everybody especially those in des desperate need. So, dear brothers and sisters, last two weeks, we've been studying faith and wealth. You know, discipleship, you cannot separate your financial management. It's as simple as clear. If you really believe there's a life after this life, and one day we'll stand before God, how you and I manage our resources, a critical Resources such as time, talent, and finance matters. Because we are all sword of God. Are we building the true wealth that lasts forever and bless many people? Or are we using wealth for my own personal gratification? The gospel of Jesus Christ is so rich in love and grace. It welcomes everyone and enriches everyone. It reveals not only God's rich love for us, and actually it shows, exposes the poverty of our wealth. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that welcomed Lazarus and then blessed him so highly, rescues us from false wealth the world is telling us to accumulate. Let us build a true wealth for his glory. Let's pray.